Welcome to the 21st episode of the Headkick Kale podcast. Today, we're going to be taking a look at Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. And there was a bunch of other news that the UFC released throughout the week last week. So we're going to touch on all of that. That news touches on everything from Habib's retirement to the next 155-pound title shot to Brian Ortega versus Alexander Volkanovsky. And we had a couple other fight announcements. We're going to talk about all those things. And then at the end, we're going to look forward to next week's fight card, which is UFC 260. And that is headlined by Stipe versus Francis Ngannou. So we're going to touch, touch up on all of that. And uh, at the end, we'll do a little bit of predictions for next week. So to start off, obviously, we're going to start at the main event of last night, which is Kevin Holland versus Derek Brunson. Now, this is, an, is a difficult one to talk about because I don't want to come off like um, this. This is difficult because Derek Brunson went out there and did what he had to do to win, but he didn't do that much. Kevin Holland went out there and didn't do that much and ended up losing. So for both of these guys, they didn't have incredibly impressive performances. And I mean, I guess you could say Kevin Holland's was quite disappointing and not impressive at all. But for Kevin Holland, I, I didn't understand what the strategy was on the ground. Derek Brunson was able to take him down. Uh, a lot of people thought Brunson would be able to take Kevin Holland down. Um, Jack Ray was able to get Kevin Holland to the ground. But the question was, what happens when you get onto the ground with Kevin Holland? Now, in the past, especially against Jack Array, Kevin Holland was very active, and he threw heavy strikes off the bottom, heavy elbows, and finished the fight off the bottom. And he threw up many submission attempts in the short period that he was on the bottom. In this fight against Derek Brunson, Kevin Holland still had some activity off the bottom. The shots were not as meaningful off the bottom. And he didn't have as many submission attempts off the bottom. He he was he threw one arm bar in there, but for the main part, he just got a body triangle on the on the bottom and held in in a little headlock there, and really just tried to prevent ground and pound. It didn't look like he was trying to do much to escape. I would have liked to see Holland work back to the cage more, try and stand up from the bottom using the cage throw up some more submission attempts, maybe a triangle because you're sitting there in that body in that body triangle so you could work down to the triangle a little bit better. There were several things, but the main thing is just activity. It looked at times Kevin Holland was complacent to be on bottom and um, that's something that, you know, is not going to get you far when you're fighting Derek Brunson. And there's this narrative out there to where Kevin Holland should stop talking while he's fighting. Now, um, as far as this goes, people like to cite that as a reason why he lost, because he talks while he fights. Now, that's pure silliness, because do you uh, do people honestly think that, oh, hey, um, if Kevin Holland wouldn't have talked against Derek Brunson, Derek Brunson wouldn't have been able to take him down? You know, that's, that's not the thing that... Um, that's not the thing that Kevin Holland does that he needs to fix or improve upon. That's one of the better aspects of his game is his ability to be entertaining. So don't ask him to strip that away out of his game just because he lost. You know, he has something. And it would almost seem disingenuous if Kevin Holland was all of a sudden stopped talking. You know, imagine if the, one of the Diaz bros stopped talking while they were fighting. 
it wouldn't it wouldn't you know it would seem it would seem fake and it would seem like he wasn't being himself in there and we criticize fighters for that all the time so when a fighter lives up to his personality inside and outside of the octagon you really can't you know hold that against him which i think some people are trying to do um so i i think uh for this fight kevin holland He's talked about he's going to move. He's looking to move down to 170, and he wants to take on Bilal Muhammad was the name I saw, and that's an interesting matchup. That'd be a very fun fight, and this this welterweight division is um, really out of place here. So if Kevin Holland moves down to 170, it would just kind of add another layer of complex complexity in trying to get all these guys booked. I do. See, Kevin Holland is a tweener for me on whether he should be at 170 or 185. He has so much length that it's an interesting. He makes interesting matchups in either direction he goes. The length is something that, you know, you can almost be too tall for a weight class. You know, it's, um, and Kevin Holland I think has the frame for or he has the length for 185 and I think if he added on some muscle that'd be that'd be a better a better way to approach things than go down to 170 who we just I think he would be too lengthy there and he wouldn't have uh he wouldn't be able to use he would he would probably get out wrestled at 170 a lot of times it's easier for guys to get in on shots when you got those long lengthy limbs so I really just think that 185 is Kevin Holland's natural weight class, but if he could put on some muscle mass, he would be much better. Because one thing we did see in there, Derek Brunson was obviously the stronger of the two fighters, and you know, you're gonna get to points in that division where a lot of these guys are very strong. And look at guys like Costa, Whitaker; these guys are very built and. That's something that he's going to have to deal with at 185, but I think if he took the time to add on some muscle mass, that he would be in a very good position at 185 because of that length, he still can utilize his length at 185. And I think overall that, that weight class has, for, for Kevin Holland, it has less wrestlers, especially at the top of the division. Um, you have Brunson and Gastelum and uh, Chris Weidman, and that's really it. Um, Whitaker mixes it in there. Cannoneer mixes it in there a little bit. Vittori, Hermanson. I mean, I guess both of these weight classes have some very good wrestlers. But you, it, instead of trying to avoid the wrestlers, we gotta we gotta get some better takedown defense, I guess, um, and use some more of your. Um, he's a black belt, so he's got to use some of his. Um, BJJ skills on the ground, which he did not seem to do too much of. So let's stop um, trashing Kevin Holland here because I love Kevin Holland, Kevin Holland. And let's not forget in that second round, he almost finished Brunson. He had Brunson panic wrestling. He, he, he dropped Brunson. I don't know if it was technically a knockdown, but he had, he had Brunson compromised and almost got a knockdown. Might have not got the knockdown. It all depends on how the, the, uh, Scorekeeper scored that, you know, the the um, qualifications for a knockdown have been very inconsistent, um, especially as of late. So whether they scored that a knockdown or not, it doesn't really matter. But it was effectively a knockdown. Um, Derek Brunson used the used the uh, floor of the cage to make sure that he didn't go all the way down. So either way, he still had some very good moments on his feet, and you can tell that he's a very good striker. So 
Uh, I don't think this is the end for Kevin Holland. He's still young, and uh, he's going to be in big, important fights because of how entertaining he is. So this isn't going to be the last opportunity that um, we see Kevin Holland get. Now, for Derek Brunson, Derek Brunson went out there and did exactly what he needed to do to win. Um, that He didn't do anything particularly exciting. He, he did a lot of... He got the takedowns and controlled position. And a lot of that was because Kevin Holland was laying in full guard. And when you have someone just laying in full guard, Kevin Holland wasn't trying to escape. He wasn't really doing anything to advance his position on the bottom. So it makes it harder to advance positions on top. He was able to get some strikes in there, especially in the early rounds. The later rounds looked like Brunson started to slow, but he was still able to control positions. He eventually got taken down in the fifth round, but at that point, he had the fight won. So as long as he didn't get finished, it was okay. But um, for for Brunson, what's next here? Brunson has this unfair label of being a gatekeeper. Well, I do think that is somewhat, um, it's, it's a little bit true because of his age, but he's better than a gatekeeper. Um, he can beat a lot of these guys. He's seventh right now, just took out another top prospect. He's taken out Holland, and he's taken out Shabazian. So, if you're the UFC, I don't know why you would put Holland. That's, first of all, UFC matchmaking. Holland and Shabazian versus Derek Brunson. Looks like you're just looking to get them, you know, TKO'd on the ground from the matchmaking standpoint and kill your prospects. But, I mean, that's that's their prerogative. I guess they want to have guys prove that they can... Um, that they can get big wins over tough wrestlers before they move into the top of the division, I guess. Um, that's understandable. But for Derek Brunson, he said he wanted a top five guy, and then they asked him for a name, and he said Paulo Costa. I don't think he's going to get Paulo Costa. I think a more like It also depends on when he wants to fight again, but I think a more likely call out is Jared Cannonier. I think he's got a better chance to get the Cannonier fight than the Costa fight. Cannonier is injured, though. So if he's willing to wait for Cannoneers to return, that could be a potential fight. Um, and also, Derek Brunson, he went first. There's going to be a long line of these 185-pound fights that are taking place. So Brunson went first, so he didn't really get the liberty of seeing how some of these matches turned out. You have Till versus Vittori. You could give Derek Brunson the loser of that. I think the winner's going to move up. You have Gastelum versus Whitaker. Um... I think depending on how that goes out, goes down, you could book. Um, I guess, you know, you have Gastelum could fight Brunson if he, well, that's a, you know what, that's a tough one. Maybe that wasn't the best example there. Um, Because Whitaker versus Gastelum, if Whitaker wins, he's going to fight for the title. If Gastelum wins, what do you do with Whitaker? There'd be a lot of questions there. But, you know, that's not the end of these uh, matches at 185. Um, Uriah Hall versus Chris Weidman is eventually going to take place. Um, Jack Hermanson is fighting Edmund Shabazian. So there's a lot of routes for Derek Brunson to go. I think in the next couple months, we're going to see some uh, clarity in this 185-pound division because we have so many matchups. So it's hard to get a fight right now. But I think if you're Brunson, I think the correct path to take would be calling out Jared Cannonier. He's coming off a loss to Whitaker. And he's still someone in the top five. And I think Cannoneer is more likely to take that fight than Paulo Costa. I think Costa is going to be looking for one of these top guys. Whether that's um, if Whitaker loses, you could 
try and do Whitaker versus Costa. So I don't think Costa is going to be too overly excited to take that Brunson matchup. I don't think anyone's going to be overly excited to fight Brunson, but I think someone's going to have to eventually. And I think Cannoneer is probably the direction if he wants to try and get a fight booked now. Um, and that's weird to say because Cannoneer is injured. But, I mean, that, that's that been a couple months, so who knows when Cannoneer is looking to return. If they can book that for two or three months down the road, that could be a potential matchup that we could see. Or the other, the other good possibility would be Till versus Vittori and trying to get the loser of that for Brunson. Um, him and Till have beef, beef in the past, so if Till loses to Vittori, you could try and make Till versus Brunson. Um, I think that'd be an interesting matchup for both guys. And that's probably the direction we're going to see for Derek Brunson. I don't really have much other th- to talk about on that card. There were some events. Um, we had the post-fight little little scrum there. Um, we had Yanez looked great, but there's nothing to... Um, it was a fun card. It was a fun card. We had the, yeah, we had the Ruiz versus Baez little incident afterwards. Nothing too crazy there. Um, we had Max Griffin went out there and got a nice win in the co-main event. We had Adrian Yanez got a nice win at Bantamweight. He's a really good striker. Tied to Ivasa got a big finish. So I, so this card really overperformed. This doesn't, this card didn't have much name value to it really. Um, other than the main event, obviously. So um, to go out there and have some entertaining fights, that's always good when you don't know necessarily, um, when not everyone has a built name already, and they get an opportunity on the main card, and they go out there and perform. That's always good for guys like Max Griffin, Adrian Yanez, and uh, Tai Tuivasa. I, well, I guess Tai Tuivasa is pretty well known, has fought ranked heavyweights, but you, you get the point I'm making here. Moving on, the biggest of the news, I, I don't want to label it, well, this is probably the biggest news, is Habib is officially retired. They have moved him from the UFC rankings, and they have announced the next title fight. So, the next title fight will be Chandler versus Oliveira. Now, um, to start off with this, I'm glad this is finally resolved. This has been weeks that we've been months months well Habib's last fight was in October so several months we've been waiting to see this get resolved um there isn't really much to say in terms of Habib retiring um we've had these discussions before and it's just nice to have it done and um officially official it's a weird word but I think it was official the first time and then we just had to add an extra explanation point at the end to really to know to let people know that he's not coming back. So, I think that for Habib, you know, this is a this is, you know, what he wanted to do and you can't really fault him for wanting to retire early. I think there were still fights out there for him. Um I but the fights out there for him I don't think there was anything that would have ended up being ultra competitive. You could make the case Oliveira, you could make the case Chandler, I think Habib beats both of those guys pretty easily. So him walking away at this point, he doesn't leave any question marks. He beat the top guys. He beat Dustin Connor. Um, never got to fight Tony. That's always that'll always be a question mark. But I feel like at this point, you can't book Habib versus Tony because Tony is so far past his prime. If we really wanted to see Tony versus Habib, we would have had to see that 
two years ago at the latest two years ago. Um, anything that happens now between Habib and Tony is really going to be, it won't be the, the fight that we thought we were going to see originally. And that's a shame that we never got to see that fight, but you know, some things that's just how it goes in MMA. So um, we have Chandler versus Oliveira fighting for the belt now. I think that's the right fight to make. A lot of people are criticizing this decision. And I really don't understand. Well, I guess I get a little bit of the criticism, but I'm not overcritical of this decision that the UFC decided to make and book Oliveira versus Chandler. If you're looking at who we have, our other options here, the big name is Dustin Poirier. So um, it's pretty evident that Dustin Poirier wants the Conor McGregor trilogy fight. So, and I don't think the UFC wants to give Conor the opportunity to fight for a belt right now. So if Poirier wants to fight Conor and the UFC can't really put a belt up on a Conor fight right now because he's on a, a two fight or he's, he's lost his last two at 155. He's got the win at 170 over Cowboy, but that win hasn't aged very well. So you really, if Poirier wants that McGregor fight, they're not going to put the belt up for McGregor and, you know, and that's okay. That's Poirier's decision. So with Poirier out, I think Oliveira and Chandler are the two top guys. The other guy is Justin Gaethje. Now, Justin Gaethje, you could make the case he deserves this title shot over one of those guys. But at the end of the day, he's coming off a loss, and it's never the best idea to have a guy coming off a loss fight for the title. You know, we've seen that before, but usually that's because that's off of a request from the champ. Um, there was no previous champ to make that request. We saw that in the past. Izzy wanted to fight Romero coming off a loss. Cejudo wanted to fight um, Dom Cruz coming off a loss. And then we saw Aldo fight for the title coming off a loss. So it wouldn't be unheard of. But I think when you have one guy, Charles Oliveira, on a long win streak, I think he deserves a title shot, and that's undisputed. Then Chandler is the one where people are looking at where um, who sh who should be out of this fight, but I think Chandler deserves this. He's had, he has one fight in the promotion and he knocked out Dan Hooker in the first round. Now Dan Hooker, his fight before that was against Dustin Poirier, where it was a five round fight of the night. So Dan Hooker is nobody's chum, and getting beating Dan Hooker in this 155 pound division pretty much put you at the top and he deserves that opportunity based off that performance and um, it pretty much comes down to Chandler versus Gaethje and if you look at their last fights Michael Chandler is more deserving in my opinion and this well this lightweight division has been fully matched up pretty much we have Poirier who they're looking at McGregor so that fight is going to be interesting to see how they book that because as of right, you have to have Conor McGregor headline a pay-per-view. That's a requirement. Um, now, when is the big question here? Because you can't, you obviously, if you're looking at pay-per-views, it can't be UFC 260. That's obviously a week um, from today. So it's not going to be UFC 260. UFC 261 has three title fights already. Um, that's going to be an issue later when we talk about Volkanovski versus Ortega, but they're not just going to throw Connor and Poirier on the top of three title fights. Okay. You look at the pay-per-view after that, 
UFC 262. Um, that I believe is scheduled to be. Um, that is looking at to be Moreno versus. Oh no, that's Chandler versus Oliveira is UFC 262. So um, you can't have Poirier versus McGregor headline. Um, you can't have Poirier versus McGregor headline that card, and that is um, May 15th that we're seeing that fight, Chandler versus Oliveira, and that's headlining a pay-per-view. Then, moving on from that, UFC 263 is, is June, and in June is going to be Moreno versus Figueredo. And you once again, you can't put Conor versus Poirier to headline that. So the earliest we could see this is UFC 264 in July. So this Poirier versus McGregor fight is looking like it's just going to keep getting pushed back. And there, there, it looks like there isn't really anything we can do about that as long as you have title fights booked because you can't put Conor versus Poirier over a title. And that's just, that's just the way it works. You can't really argue that. And that, but that does make it a pain to book these fights, and there, and it, that also makes it a pain to um, market around the whole card because you can't put Connor with other title fights. You can't put Connor and do three title fights like they've done in the past. So, um, that's something we're gonna have to look out for. And it's looking like it's going to be July, but if it gets pushed back any further than July, this is going to be interesting on whether they decide to keep this fight intact or not. So, other than that, we'll break down some of these matches at 155. We have Oliveira versus Chandler. We already talked about that. Then we have number five, Tony Ferguson fighting number nine, Benil Darius. Tony, once again, so much credit to Tony, is giving another top guy an opportunity. He gave Charles Oliveira that opportunity earlier in, in December. Now he's giving an opportunity to Benil Dariush. So Tony Ferguson is fighting some of these guys who are have been uh, dodged and worked around as of late. So respect to Tony for that, and hopefully he can go out there and show um, a good performance. He's coming out. He has two losses back to back right now. So let's let's see if we can go out there and we can get some prime Tony Ferguson, and that should be a fun fight. Benil Dariush only gets some fun fights. Um, Tony Ferguson only gets some fun fights. So it should be a fun one. Then at six, we have Connor. We already talked about that. It's looking like he's going to fight Poirier next. And then at number seven is Rafael Dos Anjos. So for RDA, this is interesting because I think they could try and book this matchup between Gaethje and RDA because what is Gaethje going to do? Gaethje is the only guy in the top six that is unbooked and Gaethje, obviously, if he can go out there and get a big win, he'll be right in that conversation to get the next title shot after, say, after Chandler versus Oliveira, um, depending on what happens with Conor versus Poirier as well. So Gaethje here, he could end up fighting Rafael Dos Anjos, who's unbooked. You can't really say Gaethje versus Hooker right now. That'd be such a fun matchup, Gaethje versus Hooker. But Hooker coming off. Two losses right now, um, one being a first-round knockout. They're not going to give him the number two guy. And this division is really a mess because you look down, you have, also have Islam Makhlchev, who right now they need to get someone in the top ten. And who are you going to give Islam? 
Um, the big name has been half has been RDA. So then, do you want to give RDA to Islam or Gaethje? So we have so many questions here in this lightweight division. Still, what's going to happen with Justin Gaethje? How does Justin Gaethje fit into all of this? Kevin Lee is talking about returning. What is Ally Quinta doing? Um, what is Paul Felder doing? How are they going to book Dan Hooker? Dan Hooker's a tough person to book right now because Dan Hooker has, um, you can't put him in, in there with anyone in the top seven. You can't put him in there against Paul Felder. They already fought. Um, I don't think the UFC would be too hot on giving Islam to Dan Hooker because uh, that's not a great matchup for Dan Hooker. Do you give him Diego Fajeda, Kevin Lee, Eli Quinta? So many questions here. So I think some of these guys are gonna might have to sit around and wait. Gaethje might end up playing the waiting game. I think RDA might have to play the waiting game, but he could get in there with um, he could get in there with Islam. Dan Hooker's probably gonna have to play the waiting game. Paul Felder's gonna have to wait a little bit. So I think we're gonna see a lot of waiting for some of these guys while we wait for some of these other top fights to play out. Um, the other, we had two other big fights get booked in the bantamweight division. The first being Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw, which is obviously a massive fight. The second being Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font. Now, we've, so right now we're looking like we're going to get Aljo versus Piotr Jan again. That is something that is almost for certain. Then you have Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. But then you have Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt. So first things first, those fights are going to be outstanding. Sandhagen versus Dillashaw, great return for Dillashaw. I have been, excuse me, I have been wait. I have been since Corey Sandhagen knocked out Marlon Moraes. I have been calling for Sandhagen versus Dillashaw. We should have saw this fight in. February, whenever Corey Sanhagen fought last, we should have saw that fight, whether that was late January, early February, doesn't really matter. But that's when we should have saw Dillashaw's return. Now, we have Sanhagen versus Dillashaw. Now we, we got it, and the winner of that has to fight for the title. That's just that's just there. Um, we're going to see Eljo versus Jan, like I just said, but the winner of Dillashaw and um, Sanhagen... They're going to fight the winner of Yana versus Aljo regardless. If, you're, if you have Corey Sanhagen, who would have wins over Dillashaw, who would have a win over Marlon Moraes, and a win over Frankie Edgar, that's a title shot. Who have Dillashaw, a former champ, coming off a two-year suspension. If he comes back and beats Sanhagen, you got to give him a title shot. Now, Cody Garbrandt and Rob Font are also getting themselves in really good position for a title shot as well. Um, I don't think theirs is going to come as soon, but they are laying the groundwork for a title run here. Rob Font obviously would have wins over Marais and Garbrandt. If he can win, Garbrandt would have a win over um, Asuncao and um, Font. So both of these guys could really push themselves for the run to a title shot. Looks like Cody Garbrandt is still open and moving down to 125. So that could be an interesting factor. But if Font could beat... Cody, he would have to be. You see, we're getting stacked up here. Bantamweight, bantamweight is looking great right now. You have Dominic Cruz, who's looking to go on another title run. I don't know if he can manage it. You have Pedro Munoz, who looked great in his last fight. You still have Jose Aldo, 
and you have some really, really good guys from 10 to 15, um, whether that's Jimmy Rivera, Marab, um, Kyler Phillips, Cheeto Vera. You still have Sean O'Malley running around who's fighting next week. So this bantamweight division is alive and well. We're going to have to see how these these uh, those two, those three big fights play out. But there's one thing that I'm willing to guarantee, and that's that we get fun fights at bantamweight for the next year to two years, maybe forever at this pace. Um, you could, you could, um, you've got the top six guys, um, and that's including Aljo as champ. So in between Jan Sandhagen, Font, Garbrandt, Aldo, and Aljo, you throw in Dillashaw in there, you could, you could match those guys up however you like, and you're getting a fun fight. That's just how it goes. Marlon Marais as well. So you've got six, seven, or eight guys at the top that you could book in any which way and get an absolute war of a fight. And that just shows you the state of this bantamweight division right now. Um, you could say that about some other divisions, but right now bantamweight has really shown that it is top tier, top tier division right there. So the last piece of big news that I want to touch on is Brian Ortega versus Alex Volkanovsky is off of UFC 260 due to COVID. So that's obviously massive news. And this is also falling in that same trap of Connor versus Poirier of when are we going to book this? Not as bad because it is a title fight, but when are we going to rebook this fight? Um, an interesting thing to note is this fight was announced as postponed and it was not announced as canceled, which is a big big indicator that we will still see this fight and we won't see someone step in to fight Brian Ortega on a week's notice and we are going to see Volkanovski versus Ortega obviously the big question is um Volkanovski has COVID so the big question is when are we going to see this um when is Volkanovski going to be okay to return now um I got pulled off UFC 260 UFC 261 is has three title fights on it already. So we will not be seeing that on UFC 261 because I don't think of any stretch of the imagination the UFC is going to sit down and say, hey, we're going to make four title fights on one card. Could they do it? Yes. Will they do it? I don't think so. That seems like the UFC has never done that before. This would be... um. This would be the UFC's first return in the in with live attendance, so maybe they want to make that push, but I really just don't think it's going to happen. Um, that'd be a really quick turnaround from having COVID to defending your belt for Volkanovski. I don't think it's going to work. The earliest we see this, I think, is, is on that May 15th card. This would be a really good fight to add on that because you're going to have an issue marketing Chandler and Oliveira um, and having that your only fight on, or your only title fight on that card. So I think throwing Volkanovski and Ortega would be a great thing to throw on there. Or you could take it the month after and you could put it on um, Moreno and Figueredo. So we have two really good options, but we're going to have to wait two to three months to see this fight again. Unfortunately, that's just the way the timetables have um, worked out. But I think, I think that will be a good thing. So you can add another title fight 
to one of those um, events that was looking a little bit dry from afar. Um, but, you know, I think that that will end up working out well. But the big loser in this is Max Holloway because Max Holloway's next fight has to be for, for the 145-pound belt. Um, unless Cejudo returns and they give Max Holloway to Cejudo. Um Unless, unless Max moves up to 155. But I just don't see him taking on another contender here at 145. So for Max, he's going to be in a position where this, moving this back three months has really hurt Max two to three months because um, you're going to have to wait. But the next fight for Max, um, four months after that probably, five months after that, depending on how that turns out. I guess if it's a quick finish for one of those guys, you could get him in there a little earlier. But overall, you're going to have to, Max is going to have to wait and sit on the sidelines a little bit, which is something that he sounds like he did not want to do. Max Holloway, and everything that has happened since his fight with Calvin Cater, has said he just wants to do just about everything but wait to fight. He wants to fight. He wants to fight often. And he said the only way he would take time off is if he was moving up to 155. So maybe Max sees this as an opportunity to add some of that weight and move up to 155. But I really think we need to see that trilogy between Holloway and Volkanovski. And that could, depending on how, on how that fight goes, of Volkanovski, well, or Ortega could spoil the party here. But right now it's looking like we see, it's looking like we're going to have to see Volkanovski versus Holloway 3 no matter what. Because a lot of people think Max won the second fight. There's a big question mark there. And what happens if Max wins this third fight? Do they have a fourth fight? And then if Max wins the fourth fight, they're split 2-2. Do you have a fifth fight um, for all the marbles? So there's so many questions here with what are we doing with Max Holloway? And um, he's a fan favorite, so they got him in there. Got to get him in there again. But as of right now, it looks like he's going to have to wait unless he wants to do something big and make a big change which I don't, th I think we will eventually see that from Max. I think we will see a big change and he'll move up to 155 eventually. Um, I don't think that time is right now. I think he needs to get that 145 pound belt back, defend it once or twice, and then make that move, potentially try and become double champ. Who knows what the lay of the land is looking at at 155 at, by that point. But right now it looks like 155 is so so backed up because if you, you I you won't be able to get Max Holloway championship fight right away at 155 you'd have to give him someone like Gaethje um that'd be an interesting matchup Gaethje versus Holloway and and then after that he would fight for the title afterwards so there's really just so many questions we were looking like we were going to have answers for Max Holloway and when we were going to see that next fight but that is being pushed back and that is the exact opposite of what we wanted. And um, Volkanovski versus Ortega was going to be a great fight. Um, so it's all right. Well, I think we'll eventually get these answers. But right now we just had some more question marks brought up. And I think we will eventually get these answers that we are looking for. Now, the last thing I want to touch on is UFC 260. That was all the other. That was all the big news that happened. There was a large. There was a large chunk of large important crucial news division changing um the new main the new co-main event for usc 260 is looking like it's going to be tyron woodley versus vicente luque um that'll be a fun fight but to start off at the top we have stipe versus francis and now 
this there's this fight's an interesting fight, okay? Because looking right away, we have Stipe versus Francis. Um, they fought before. Now the first fight was fifty forty five, Stipe. Now what has changed? We have to ask ourselves what has changed since the first fight that we are thinking that Nganu can win this fight. Now, the main thing that I'm looking at personally is the 10 pounds. Stipe, the first fight, was 140-something. Now he's down to 2... Or, excuse me. He was 240 in the 240 range. Now he's down to, to the 230 range. How does that weight affect Stipe? Is he looking to get back up to 240? That could be a possibility. I think the weight is going to play a big factor here. Um, an extra 10 pounds will do wonders for helping you absorb some of Francis and Gaidu's strikes. And 10 pounds will help you great in the grappling category. And, or maybe he could say, I want to keep that 10 pounds off and have the, because in the, in Stipe's last fight against DC, he looked very, um, very good. Great head movement, light on his feet. That may be attributed to losing that 10 pounds. So he may look to keep those 10 pounds off to try and, avoid rather than have the 10 pounds to absorb strikes the 10 pounds less to help avoid strikes i think this is all going to play a big factor i still think i still think stipe is going to have the ability to get this fight to the ground and i think that's going to be the biggest factor um i the gap in the first fight was so large in terms of wrestling I don't think Francis will had the time to close that gap. It, I think it's going to be a lot more competitive in these wrestling exchanges, but I do think Stipe is going to come out on top. Now the big and the big thing here is how much has your takedown defense improved? If you're uh, Francis, that's number one. How much has your takedown defense improved? Two, if you get taken down, what happens? That is something that we. We always talk about takedown defense, rightfully so, because you you have to be able to stop someone from taking you to the ground. But what happens if someone can get you to the ground? We saw this in Kevin Holland versus Derek Brunson yesterday. Um, if you are Kevin Holland, he got taken down and he did not have the ability to get up for the most or did not attempt to get up. Is that the strategy we see from Francis? Because if it is, we could see a very similar fight to Brunson versus Holland, where one guy is able to take the other guy down, and the other guy is just not able to get up off bottom. Now, is that necessarily going to be the case? You, it's it's hard to know. Now, but I still think Stipe is going to be able to win this fight. Like I said, he's going to have the advantages in the wrestling. And when this fight is not on the when this fight is on the feet, Stipe still is a great striker. Francis can put his uh put his lights out with one with one punch, yes, but Stipe has such good head movement that he is far better at avoiding strikes in his footwork as well. He's far better at avoiding strikes than many of these heavyweights that we've seen Francis knock out. So I think those are the two things that come into play is Stipe's movement and his grappling ability. You can break those down further categories, um, movement being footwork and head movement, and then your wrestling being the takedown offense of Stipe 
and then the ability to control the fight on the ground. So those break into some some smaller categories, but for the main for the main part, I think Stipe is going to be able to avoid strikes on the feet, get it to the ground, get it to the clinch where he has advantages, dirty box, things like that and get this win. Um, now, with that being said, I'm taking Stipe here, but it only takes one from Francis and Ganyu. That's the danger of picking heavyweight fights. If I were a better, I would not bet on this fight. I mean, Stipe could be beating him in every category for 24 minutes, and then Francis could land one of those big punches, and that's all he needs. So, by saying I by by me saying I'm picking Stipe, that's not me saying I don't acknowledge the fact that Francis can win because he can win and he has a very good shot to win. All he has to do is connect once. Um but with that being said, I still think Stipe is going to be able to get this win. And then obviously the winner fights John Jones, so there's a lot at stake here. And then in the co-main we have Tyron Woodley versus Vicente Luque. This is a tough fight because Tyron Woodley has lost 14 rounds in a row, and he would have lost 15 rounds in a row if he would, didn't get injured in the fifth round against Colby. So, and Luque is a very talented fighter here. His last fight, I believe, was Wonderboy. He's been off for a minute. I believe he got hurt a little bit in that fight. Um, I may be off here. Let me double check. Um, but Vicente Luque is a great fighter. Oh, yeah, what am I talking about? He fought twice and he lost to um, Stephen Thompson in 2019. And then he fought twice against Randy Brown and Nico Price. Why did I forget both of those fights? I don't know. But he won both, both of those fights by KO. Now, I'm glad they gave Woodley a three-round fight here. Um, but I, I lean Luke in this fight. I lean Luke because I think he's going to have a lot higher output. Um Tyron Woodley has had historically low output over his last three fights. I think Tyron can win this fight if he comes in with um, higher output and if he uses his wrestling more. I think that Tyron has the ability to win fights and win a lot of fights um, right now against a lot of guys at the top of this division. But his mindset has been off in these last three fights. This is what it's looked like to me. And he hasn't had the willingness to throw some of the strikes that he was throwing earlier in his career. And I think if he lets go and he lets his hands fly, I think he wins this fight. And I think he wins this fight fairly easily. But I don't think he's going to do that. I think we're going to see the same old approach as we saw against Colby, as we saw against Gilbert. Um, The difference being, Luke can't grapple as well as some of those guys. So maybe because there isn't as much of a grappling aspect, Tyron Woodley would be willing to put himself in some more dangerous positions in the striking because he doesn't have to get worried about he doesn't have to worry about getting taken down. But I struggle to say that Tyron is going to not fight like he did his last three fights. He did it he did it he did it once against Usman, okay? And then he did it twice against Gilbert. And then if you've done something twice, you've made the same mistake twice, and then you turn around and make the same mistake a third time, why why would I think that he's going to turn it around and not make the same mistake for a fourth time? He made this mistake three times, and he didn't fix it after the first two. did it again the third time. Hopefully he learned after the third time and doesn't do it the fourth time. So I think Tyron Woodley has the ability to win this fight, but I just don't think he's going to 
come in there with the proper game plan to win. And I think Luke is going to come in there and get a win. Um, I'm looking at a three-round decision with a very impressive performance by Luke. And that would open some lot, a lot of fun matchups at 170 for Luke if he can win this fight. So that'll be an interesting thing to look at. Then we have Thomas Almeida versus Sean O'Malley. This is a fun one. Thomas Almeida used to. Thomas Almeida was almost um, a couple years ago version of Sean O'Malley, a great striker with a lot of potential. I think Sean O'Malley is going to win this fight. Um, the big question is leg kicks. That's always been Sean O'Malley's weakness. So if he can avoid leg kicks, I think he wins this fight fairly easily. Um, but Thomas Almeida is nobody's fool. So um, this is going to be a tough fight. And I think Sean O'Malley is going to prove why he had the hype he once had. He's died, that hype has died down recently. But I think he's going to prove why, why people were looking at him as someone who can make a run in the 135-pound division. I think he wins this fight, and then we see Sean O'Malley back fighting in the 135-pound rankings. And then the other two fights that look good on this card to me, there's other fun fights, but these two look very good. Jamie Malarkey versus Kama Worthy. Those guys getting fun fights. I'll be looking forward to that one. And then Alonzo Menafield versus William Knight. That fight could turn out to be a stinker, and it could turn out to be a great knockout. This is going to be one of those. It's either going to be a war, or we're going to see Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. Um, that's just the nature of some of these fights like this. So, um, But that is a fight I'm looking for. Um, I think that's getting moved to the main card. As of right now, it's listed on the main card. But the UFC loves to play and toy with, with who's fighting on the main card. And sometimes they don't make the best decisions on that. So um, if there's one critique of the UFC I have, well, there's many critiques of the UFC I have, but one of them is their bout orders, and they seem to mess it up more than they get it right. So um, that is all I have for today. Next week, we're going to be looking at UFC 260. We're going to be breaking down um, especially those those three fights on the, the first three I talked about. Um, we're going to be breaking down all those. We're going to be talking what is next for all of those guys. And if there's any more breaking news, we're going to be looking at that this week. We had a lot to talk about in terms of the, in the news category. So next week we will be looking at the news that comes out throughout the week. Don't forget to follow my other social medias. We're on just about everything as, as the head KO podcast. We're on Twitter. We're on TikTok. Those are the two that are used the most. So, um, follow me on Twitter at Twitter at HeadKickKO Pod. TikTok is the HeadKickKO Podcast. TikTok will be doing, I'll be doing a breakdown video. Um, it'll look very similar to my, um, what I said here. I'll probably just refine some of the points and put that out on TikTok. So you'll see, be seeing that. Um, Twitter, I tweet a lot throughout the week. If you want to see the breaking news early, I usually, I usually put out a couple tweets, talk about it. Um, nothing too major. I'm not filling up your feed, but um, I do have a presence on Twitter. And then if you're interested in my predictions, go to Tapology, Head Kick KO Podcast on Tapology. You can find me there. You can see all my predictions. If you just want to see my main card predictions and how I scored uh, rounds and fights, you can go to Verdict MMA for that. So um, Verdict MMA and Tapology, both Head Kick KO Podcast. Find me there. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like, 
comment, subscribe, all that jazz. And um, thank you for watching the Head Kick KO podcast.